And they've got, you can look on YouTube and see all kinds of things where they filmed it and have all of this stuff in the air and people shouting and screaming and all of those kind of things about the glory of God. How long do you think, how long do you think it takes before those people lose the emotion of that, come to their senses about that, and are completely disillusioned about church, about the Lord, or about anything else that goes on with faith. And this is the world that we're living in where there's so much that is fake and so much that we're seeking after that is not in the Word of God that we can't do anything except turn to the Word of God in times like these. I got to thinking about Moses during this time where he says, Lord, show me your glory. I've probably preached uh, messages on this before. I've heard dozens of messages on this before. But I've never heard (coughs) or read anywhere where people point out this particular context. Moses went to Egypt, confronted Pharaoh. Remember that? They had the ten plagues. Moses was viewed with skepticism. In fact, he was a skeptic at first, wasn't he? And he stood before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh mocks him. And then the plagues start happening. The people of Israel have to start believing that Moses really did see God and meet with God and really was their deliverer. Well, that's a step in the right direction. They get to that tenth plague where the Firstborn of the animals and of the families are going to die. And Moses said, unless you take this unblemished lamb and you take it and you observe the Passover, but you take the blood of the lamb that you killed, that innocent lamb, and put it on the doorposts of your house. And that night, as Israel obeyed, can you imagine what a glorious experience it was when they all saw that the death angel had indeed passed over them because he looked and he saw the blood of the unblemished lamb and he left Israel alone. Boy, that must have been something. Can you imagine the exuberance, the exhilaration? As Pharaoh says after that tenth plague, Go! Get out of here! And as the Egyptians begin to load the Israelis down with gold and silver and precious stones begging them to leave, and they are free at last. I think about what Martin Luther King Jr. said, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last. Can you imagine the Israelis saying that? Can you imagine how they sang? Can you imagine the spring in their step? Can you imagine the smiles on their faces? Can you imagine their joy as they made their way away from Egypt? Then they get to the Red Sea. They look back and they see a cloud of dust and they see the Egyptian army coming after them. Many scholars think Pharaoh was with that army. Can you imagine as they said, what are we going to do? And as they watch Moses, the man of God, take his staff and hold it out. No sham here, is there? And the waters of the Red Sea part. And those nearly two million Israelis walk across to the other side of the sea on dry land. Give the Egyptians credit. They at least had enough faith to go in it. But can you imagine as the Israelis watch the waters close in over them? They are free. They are delivered. And oh, Miriam and the others, they start taking their uh, tambourines and they're dancing and singing and celebrating. 
I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Oh, what a high and holy, glorious moment. (coughs) Then they get to Sinai. And when they are at Sinai, Moses goes up on the mountain that they're not even allowed to touch. Lightning, thunder. Moses comes back down. And he gives them orally the law. And you remember the people say in one accord, all that the Lord says we will do. Oh, they were soaring at that point. Can you imagine what it was like? Moses is seeing a successful ministry. The people of God are experiencing the presence of God there and Moses goes back up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone. While he's up on the mountain, God says, you better get back down there. The people have made a golden calf and they're bowing down to it and they are worshiping it. And Moses comes down now to see those same people that he had been with in Egypt those same people that had put the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts, the same people that had been set free by Almighty God, those same people that had been walking through the Red Sea on dry land and singing and praising God are now bowing before a golden calf, committing all kinds of sexual immorality, and Moses' own brother is right in the thick of it. Well, you know the aftermath of it, the people that were killed and the things that were done. And now Moses said, I'm going to go back up and see if I can make atonement for you. But have you ever thought about the fact that that next time Moses goes up to the mountain, what we're reading about now, it wasn't necessarily a happy experience for him. He's not going up there in victory. Oh, Lord, you're so good. Oh, this is so great. Oh, look what your people are doing. Isn't it wonderful? That's what we tend to do. He was walking up to the mountain, going up to approach the Lord with a heavy heart. In fact, he had told the Lord, if you're not going to redeem them, then just kill me as well. I don't want to live anymore. I love these people so much. And yes, they're worthy of death, but you're a compassionate God. Please, Lord, forgive But if not, take me out too. There's no reason to live. This is kind of the spirit that Moses had. This is the heart that Moses has. Some of you have that for a family member. You come before the Lord. You come to worship. You come to sing. You have your quiet time. You give your offerings. You may even try to tell somebody about Jesus. But it's not like it used to be because there's a cloud hanging over you. Somebody has failed the Lord and it breaks your heart. You thought your child was saved. Now they're living an immoral, ungodly lifestyle. What happened? Where where, where is God? What's going on? Where is the glory? You started serving God and doing what God wanted you to do, and you lost your job. Your wife left you. Your husband left you. There's all kinds of things that are going on, and life has taken a turn you never, ever saw coming. I think that's probably where Moses is. Moses is not at the burning bush hearing the Lord say, go to Egypt and let my people go. Oh, by the way, they're going to disappoint you like you've never been disappointed before. And get ready for that. He didn't hear that, did he? 
This happened. I think if we saw Moses before the golden calf, if we were to say, hey Moses, before you go up to the mountain, what do you think the odds are that the children of Israel here are going to worship a false god? I think Moses would have said, not a chance. Haven't you seen them? Man, God is working so greatly and so powerful. And Moses begins to shout and tell us stories about what God has done. Have you ever felt like that? Well, that would never happen in that church, people might say. That would never happen in that family. And even worse, we might say something like this. Never in my family. I had a friend one time that told me, he said, my child will not rebel. And I said, you better be careful. You just marked yourself. You just marked yourself. Even God's children rebel, and he's perfect. Think about all of that and how this must have just kind of come out of the dark. Moses didn't discover the people doing this. God told him they were doing it. And he comes down there into his horror. It's absolutely true. Don't you know that when God first told Moses, there was probably something in his brain that said, Surely not. Surely not. Surely not. Until he heard the noise. And he saw with his eyes what they were doing. And his heart broke his spirit fell how do you make a nation out of these people how is God going to bless these people what are we going to do is there any use in even going on so after all of the things they do Moses is back up there and there's only one thing he can pray he does intercede for the people he does ask for God to spare him but for Moses personally for Moses personally I think he knew That it's going to be rough after this. Even if the people don't fall into sin again, would it ever be the same as it was when they crossed the Red Sea? Would it ever be the same as it was that first Passover? Would it ever be the same as when they were delivered? Because the people had sinned and Moses knew it. God knew it. The presence of God Remember, was withdrawn. The tent of meeting was outside of the camp. Would it ever be the same? And you may be feeling like that today. I've seen God move. I've watched some things. I've experienced some things. But it's all different now. I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know what to pray. I'm scared to death that if God doesn't intervene of what's going to happen And at the same time, maybe you can relate to this, I'm scared to death that he will intervene because I don't know what's going to happen. Is that reality? It's the way a lot of people are living. What do you pray? What do you say? How do you handle it? What are you supposed to do? How do you stay faithful during times like these? I want to say to you, it's at times like this, gold glitter falling in the spotlights of a darkened church auditorium is not going to do it for you. Hearing people bark like dogs is not going to do it for you. It's at times like this when there's only one thing that's going to soothe your soul, and that is knowing God better In his glory. The true glory. Because God's glory is not 
gold dust falling from the ceiling. And it's not necessarily, not necessarily in having your needs met or prayers answered or those kind of things. Those do make us glorify the Lord and they are wonderful. But it's not necessarily in all of that. And I would like to ask you to turn to the book of Exodus 33, as we've said. And I want you to think about Moses in all of his disappointment, in his despair, maybe even in a little bit of fear as he looks at this situation and he talks to the Lord, pours his heart out to the Lord. And in verse um, 18, And he said, Please show me your glory. And then he, the Lord, said, I will. Boy, that's always good whenever you go before the Lord and you ask him something and his words are, I will. He says, I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion or mercy on whom I will have compassion. But he said... You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Not in his natural state. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, and so it shall be that while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hands. That make you think of an old hymn? And while I pass by, and then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so Moses is going to experience something that is going to change him. And he's going to come down from the mountain, and he is going to be shining so bright with the glory of God that he's experienced with just the backside of it, and it's going to frighten people. And he's going to have to wear a veil over his face. Not because of COVID, but because it was frightening the people because of the glory of God. It's going to change him and change everything. And it's a wonderful experience. And I want to challenge you today. If life has disappointed you, taken a turn that you didn't expect, and you say, I don't know what to pray. If I pray for my child and say, oh God, intervene. What if God does intervene in judgment? But what if God doesn't intervene in salvation? I don't know what to do. I don't know where I stand. Get on the rock. Stand firm. And say, oh Lord, show me your glory in the midst of all of this mess. You say, well, what do I look for when I see the glory of God? Okay, number one. Point number one, God's glory is in his goodness. Now we need to talk about what goodness is. Because so many times we glibly say, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. But think about that. What do we usually, usually mean by that? Oh, I was... Driving through an intersection, a car ran a red light and missed me by inches. Oh, God is good, 
Well, that's true. But what if he had hit you? What if you had been killed? What if one of your loved ones had been killed in that car wreck? Would that mean that God has ceased to be good? I heard a preacher say one time he was sitting, waiting for the service to begin in a revival, sitting in a pew, and behind him there were some people talking about something that had happened and lives were spared, and they said, Oh, God was really with us. And he said, and I thought to myself, Oh, my soul. What about the people where the uh, tragedy happened? Was God not with them? Because the truth of the matter is God is good whether the car gets hit or not. And God is good whether the healing happens or not. That's not the issue. God is always good. And the idea here is when the Lord says, I'll let my goodness pass in front of you, his moral perfection, his excellence, all of that, the goodness of God is going to pass by Moses. Why did Moses have to be hidden from it? Because Moses in his humanity is just like you and me. Our sinfulness would cause us to perish in the light of the perfected goodness of God. This is a God who never sins. A God who never does wrong. A God who never makes mistakes. A God who never has anything sinful in him at all. In fact, in the book of 1 John chapter 1, it says that in him is light and in him is no darkness at all. Well, you talk about being in the presence of a holy God where all of Moses' sin would be exposed. He was a murderer after all, remember that? He was a guy with anger issues. We know that by reading the story of his life in the Bible. I mean, that sin would come out in the presence of the brightness of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that he is, in 1 Timothy, the unapproachable light. You couldn't stand it. You couldn't handle it. Why? Because that would expose all of your sinfulness. That at your best, you fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, the very definition of sin. And yet Moses says, show me your glory. The glory that I fall short of. The glory that I can't attain. The glory that would kill me if I came into full contact of it. And this... Wonderful Lord says, okay, I will, I will. But I'm going to put you here in the rock. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock where you can peek out of that rock. And I'm going to cover you with my own hand so that my glory doesn't cause you to perish. And then when it comes out, you're going to see my goodness as it passes by. And I want you to think, have you seen the glory of God? And you might say, oh, I don't know. Well, has God been good to you? Have you seen the goodness of God as you read his word? Have you experienced the goodness of God in salvation? Have you experienced his goodness in knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you experience his goodness knowing that Jesus has been raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father where he makes intercession for you, where he advocates for you, and where he is preparing a mansion for you? God is not good because of what he does. God is good simply because He is God. And the goodness of God, not only in what He does, but in who He is, is manifest all around us and in us every single day, multiple times a day. You have seen the glory of God 
Because you as a believer have seen the goodness of a God who would send his only son to come to earth, live a perfect life in the midst of all kinds of temptation, conquer it, die on a cross, be forsaken by his Father for your sake, be raised from the dead on the third day, and then go back to heaven so he could send you his Holy Spirit and so that he could pray for you while you go through your valleys, while you go through your trials, while you go through your disappointments, while you go through your defeats, while you go through your frustrations, while you go through all of the disappointments of life. And he is with you, and he is praying for you, and your steps are ordered of God. And even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or at least it seems like it, you don't have to fear any evil because he is with you. And his rod and his staff comfort you. And I'm here to say, if you don't get anything else to say this, God is good even in our darkest hours. Even in our times of despair. Don't overdose. Don't commit suicide. Believer, you've got a lot to live for. You're going through the valley. You're not stuck in the valley. It gets better from here. And the Lord is with you. And he will guide you. And he will take you out. Because he himself is our victory. And we rest in his goodness. Because Jesus put his goodness on your account. If you've trusted him. And you are safe. And you are secure in him. Can somebody say amen to that? Life is worth living because he lives. Number two, you see the glory of God in the grace of God. Now the grace of God is when we get something we don't deserve. It's not just being nice. Oh, you are a gracious host. Well, you should be. But when God is gracious to us, he's not just being nice. He is treating us, treating us as if we had never sinned. Can you imagine? The Father treated Christ as if he had lived our life. And now he treats us as if we had lived Christ's life. Grace. All this in heaven too. All this and heaven too, because of his wonderful, marvelous, matchless, and we have to say it, amazing grace. And God gives us what we don't deserve. Sins forgiven. Righteousness we don't deserve and didn't earn. A place in heaven that we should never see. An advocate standing up before the accusations of the devil who actually defends us and wins every case he defends because it's the Lord Jesus Christ. This one who is going to welcome us into heaven. This one who comforts us in our afflictions. This one who walks with us through every step of life and every place that we go. Think about it. The grace of God. There's no entitlement for what we have. There's no cause for it other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing that we had earned. Israel here had turned from God to worship an idol of all things. 
Moses had been a murderer of an Egyptian back then. And yet the grace of God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And yes, you may see my glory. And Israel, Israel would see the glory of God once again. Now I want to remind you, grace wasn't given to Pharaoh. Grace wasn't given to Egypt. Grace wasn't given anywhere else. God said, I'm going to give my grace to the slaves there in Egypt that nobody's ever heard of. And I'm going to make a nation out of them, a kingdom out of them. And I am going to send my son through them and bring redemption to Gentiles like us because I am a gracious God. And whenever you think that life has been unfair and things aren't going right, think about all that you have received from God that you didn't deserve. Well, I didn't deserve that. Yeah, but you did deserve this and you didn't get it. And God bless you more than you could ever, ever even begin to imagine. Why don't you focus on what he has done instead of why you're ticked off at what he hasn't done and rejoice in the Lord always and in everything give thanks that's a command from scripture and that's why because you see his goodness and you see his grace thirdly notice in this text here it says i will have compassion or mercy on whom i will uh, have mercy that's out of uh, this is out uh, what is quoted pardon me i can say it right in romans chapter 9 God doesn't just throw mercy out there and everybody come and get it. God gives that mercy to you. And what does that mercy do? It keeps you from getting what you deserve. Grace gives us what we do not deserve. Mercy keeps us from getting what we do deserve. How many sins do you have in your life right now that if you stood up and actually made them public, there would be people that would turn against you? How many sins do you have in your life that you would just die if anybody knew about that sin and could see it for what it is? Well, let me just remind you, God knows. And if you got what you deserved, He would turn His back on you. He would walk away from you. He would let every bad thing that could possibly happen to you on this earth happen to you. Everybody would reject you. Every disease would afflict you. And life would be absolutely miserable for you. And then you would die and spend an eternity in the lake of fire. Except for one thing. Our God is a merciful God. And there are sins that you have committed. And you kind of breathe the sigh of relief because... Nothing happened. You confessed it to the Lord and you're scared to death of what the consequences are going to be. And you look around and you go, nothing happened. I've been forgiven. Why did that happen? Because in that case, God chose to be merciful to you as a child of God. But there were other times when you sinned as a believer, you confessed it to the Lord and you were forgiven but he busted your bridges. Where was the mercy of God there? The most merciful thing he could do was bust your backside so that you learn not to do it again. Somebody said the other day, if you spank your child, which the Bible commands, by the way, you're just teaching them to hit. That's kind of like saying by putting people in jail, you are, are teaching them to take people by force into places they don't want to be. That's ludicrous, isn't it? And God in His mercy disciplines His children.
but it is never as bad as it could be or maybe even should be in some situations. He has mercy for us. Life may be hard for you. It may have taken a sour turn. You don't have everything you want. Things are not going the way you wanted them to go. But can I just give you the good news? Could be worse if it were not for the mercy of God. Where would you be if God put his full wrath on you? Where would you be if you got everything you deserved to the full measure that you deserve it? Even those things that you would die if anyone knew. God knows. And in the mercy of God, you see God's glory. That's why God brings that up when he talks here to Moses. This unapproachable God. This God of light, this God of holiness, this God of purity, this God who loves is a God of mercy to those who trust Him and to those who know Him. The light that God has and that Moses had to be shielded from in the last part of this text is so bright that in Revelation 21 it says, And the city, speaking of heaven, has no need of sun nor moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. How bright is that light? Brighter than anything you've ever seen. Brighter than anything you could ever stand. And if God doesn't do a change in your life and glorify your body, you wouldn't be able to last in heaven. That's why your body has to be changed. And Moses is getting just a glimpse, just a glimpse of the backside of the glory of God. And his life is checked change because of that dwelling in inapproachable light the bible says and number four you'll notice here that there is a protecting rock christ who is the glory of god in john chapter one in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god and we beheld his glory Something that Moses really didn't get to do like the apostles did. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Remember that? As we think about how they were able to look at him, they were able to touch him, they were able to be with him. And they said, we beheld his glory. On that Mount of Transfiguration, there Jesus was with Moses and Elijah, and they beheld his glory, and they were overwhelmed by it, but they didn't perish. Why? Because Jesus came in human form, veiled in flesh, the Christmas carol says, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Great line. And that's what Jesus was, the glory of God, fully coming to earth, but instead of the veil like Moses had over his face Christ had the veil of flesh but the glory was still there and on the Mount of Transfiguration it's like the Lord said flesh get out of the way and out came the glory we see that glory in Christ what does that mean here I think the picture is that the rock here is Christ in Matthew chapter 16, after Peter's confession, the Lord Jesus said, Upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ is our rock. He is our foundation. We, like Moses, are standing on the rock. 
And just as Moses was protected by being in the cleft of the rock and the hand of the Lord being over him, we too are protected because we are in Christ. We could no more stand before God the Father today than we ever could stand before him if it were not for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ defends us. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God for us. The infinite Son of God absorbed the infinite wrath of God and did it in three hours on the cross so that we would never have to face that. He's the rock on which we stand. He's the reason we have salvation. He's the reason we have hope. He's the reason that we have a relationship with God. But that thing about the hand, Jesus made this statement. I'll paraphrase. Whenever you get saved, you're in my hand. And my hand holds you. And not only are you in my hand, but you are wrapped up in the Father's hand. And he is greater than all. And no one can pluck you out of my hand. Hand. See the imagery of love, of safety, of all of that? Can you imagine? For anybody to get to you and cause you to lose your salvation, they've got to peel off the Father's hand, right? And then they've got to go through the hand of Jesus in order to get to you. Isn't it wonderful? That just as Moses was protected in the cleft of the rock, you too stand on the rock of Christ, protected in him, in safety from the wrath of God, the ultimate wrath. And the hand of God covers you and holds you like it held Moses as he stood on that rock on that day and saw the glory of the Lord. There's an amazing thing that we think about that the Lord made a place for Moses just as he has made a place for you on the rock. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're drifting in a dark sea. There's no hope for you. But if you will turn from your sin and put your full faith in what Jesus did on the cross to pay for your sins, confess him as Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead You'll be saved in an instant. And you'll be taken out of the miry clay and out of the water and out of the darkness. And you'll come into a kingdom of light. You'll see the glory of God in your life. And you'll be placed on a rock under the protective hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of makes me want to get saved all over again, doesn't it, you? Remember that? You remember it? It's a wonderful thing and nothing has changed. He has put you on a rock. He protects you. And you are safe in Him. John said it like this. 1 John chapter 1. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you. This is one excited man. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, the glory of God, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He 
is the glory. He is the rock. And you are safe in Jesus. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood be of sin a double cure. Save from wrath and make me cure. Arthur Pink had a version of that song, a couple of lines in it that I had never heard before. And um, let me get to it so I don't misquote it. And uh, it, it changed the words probably to an older version. Okay, we know rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Or as we prefer to sing it, rock of ages, cleft for me, grace hath hid me safe in thee. And all God's people said, you don't earn it, you don't deserve it, and if you got what you deserved, you couldn't stand it. But God says, I will show you my glory. And while I'm showing you my glory, I will give you everything you need that you might be protected from the wrath that goes along with that. And that protection is the rock. That protection is Christ. And that protection is the hand, the hand of Jesus and the hand of, Father, of the Father that keeps us safe in Him. And I want to say to you today, you may not see gold dust fall from the ceiling. But if you have seen the goodness of God, and say amen if you have. If you have seen the grace of God, and say amen if you have. If you have seen the mercy of God, and say amen if you have. And if you have fully trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, say amen if you have. You have seen the glory of God in ways that can never be manufactured and never be duplicated because that is the ultimate. You have experienced the ultimate. All the rest of it is just gravy on the biscuit. Father, we pray today for those who have never experienced your glory. Save them, Lord. Bring them to repentance. Bring them to faith. Bring them to Jesus. And for those of us who have Cause us to start rejoicing and giving thanks and quit moping around about the things in this life. They're just temporary. They're passing away and you're our only hope. In the midst of our despair when we don't know what else to pray, dear God, show us your glory and let us see it in Christ. For it's in his lovely, precious, protecting sanctifying, holy name that we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. We'll see you back tonight at 5.30 and continue to pray. And Brother Dale, if you're watching, we miss you. God bless you and you are dismissed. I didn't even make you stand. You're dismissed. <laughs>